Hello and welcome to this week's Devil in the Detail podcast. I'm Rob Parkson and I'm here talking all things. So for a Devil's Joining the Show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside. Paul Whiteside, how's your week been? Keeping Britain warm? Yeah, I'm all right. It's nice to be here. Introduced to me full title, Mr. Paul Whiteside. Yeah, thank you. Fucking yeah, Whiteside. I'm, I'm doing all right, mate. Not doing too bad. Yeah, despite the, the good weather, we're still pretty busy and what have you. So, uh, yeah, doing all right. Worked in a church today. The church my mum and dad got married in. Met the priest, Mr. Father Saunders, I've not seen for a while. So I moved out of the area, you see, but he's, he was very, very kind. We had a cup of tea and uh, we got his boiler back going again. And, uh, yeah, happy days. All things good. Be honest with me now. Paul, did you ask him for a favour on Sunday? I, I did, yeah. A bit of divine intervention, as he said. Mm. Yeah, he said he'd say a few Hail Marys for us. And I said he might need a bit more than a few Hail Marys for him. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how we get on. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. Also, join us on the show. We've got Paul Parkin. How's your week been, mate? Hi, uh, hi lads. Uh, tricky, let's say that. You may notice the headwear. It's not, it's not for fashion, clearly. Not... Uh, a little bit under the weather. I've got a bit of a bit of a virus going on. It's been rough the last few days, but I've had I've had a full week. It's been good since I mean Friday out of the way, but Monday night we had the fans forum, which was good fun, and and yesterday was was my mum's eighty second birthday. Some of our listeners might remember my mum from the Willows. Uh, she worked there for thirty years, so you you will have seen her about. She worked in the restaurant, and then obviously she washed the kits for just over 30 years cleaning the changing rooms and basically probably one of the major reasons at fault that why I'm as daft as I am but yeah no so we had that we've done a bit of landscaping for her and then we've got then I get to talk to you guys tonight so realistically despite feeling under the weather the week's going really well is there a running jolt every birthday she you buy her a sofa kit and if there isn't why not because she would wrap it around my head uh, she's seen she's seen enough Salford shirts to last her more than a lifetime. Mm. Like I say, she started washing them in '77 and went through. She's seen all types of shirts come and go. I, I remember. Th- I mean, the changing rooms at the Willows were, were awful, weren't they? Really? And they had they had a wash one washing machine for years. They had to put all the kits in it, but the, the big, heavy, thick ones had to be put in the bath to get the mud out because it was winter, covered in mud and sand and all sorts. And then she'd have to lug them about, and they weighed an absolute ton, these mm. things. She'd put them in bags. At the other time, they had to come back to our house to be dried because you couldn't dry them in the changing rooms because the changing rooms were damp. But I think back now, we think things are tough now, but, the, yeah, the club was uh, a different place back then as well. Mm. Uh, I remember when they got, they got a dryer, a massive dryer. They must have nicked it from a laundrette or something, and that was like it was like a godsend. But I think they were worried about putting it on, wasting the electricity. <laughs> but, yeah, no, she's... No, she, she's she's still alive and kicking. She still she still loves the club, even though she would never admit it. But she does. She still asks about everybody there. So uh, yeah, but no, there'll be no be no buying of kits for her. Believe me. <laughs> Good stuff. Good stuff. I've had a busy week preparing our, ourselves for the, the big news, which I'll announce now that we've been nominated in the Independent Podcast Awards 2023 in the best sports podcast and the best theme tune parky thoughts well if you're asking me we're winners no look it's just great isn't it to be involved in, in these things we do it because we love it we love talking about rugby we do it anyway but to to be recognized by people is is always a key and it, it shows i mean with, without our listeners as well if nobody listened we wouldn't even be nobody be talking about it 
I know on the coach on the way home on Friday night, I had uh, quite a few people. Are you going to mention this? Are you going to say this about this after the game on Friday? And I was quite amazed how many people do listen and and, and sort of take notice. So, yeah, it's good to be recognised, isn't it? And fingers crossed we can get something out of it. Yeah, very exciting times. We've got through the first round already. The next round is in August um, where we go up against another round of so many podcasts and then in October is the final five so if we get through in August we get to go to the ceremony in London in October Paul it's been a journey on this podcast we've all made sacrifices it's been an opportunity to be able to promote ourselves and promote the club Paul Rowley always said control the controllables which is what we do on this podcast we've enjoyed every minute of it and it's great that obviously now we've got an opportunity to possibly win an award for it yeah, yeah. I mean, awards are nice, aren't they? But I think the, the main thing is we, we just keep giving the listeners the information, don't we? And we enjoy doing it and we enjoy doing speaking to the players and, and Paul Rowley. And that's a good thing, isn't it? That we tell people about this this great club. So if any award comes along, it's it's very, very nice, isn't it? So, uh, so yeah, I have to keep our fingers crossed for that, won't we? I mean, don't know whether I'll be working in October. We might be pretty busy by then, but I'm sure we'll get a bit of time off if we go to an award ceremony. I have to get my suit out. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, we can't thank our listeners enough for the support they give us. We've been at this for, like, say, seven years. We're one of the sort of oldest rugby league podcasts in the in the market, we'll call it. So if we are able to, to reach out outside of our bubble, Parker, and win an award against other sports podcasts, might be football, might be rugby union, might be cricket, might be anything, that's a, that's a statement for me that, one, rugby league is on the market for everybody, and two, we deserve what we get. Oh, absolutely. I think, I mean, the thing is, we are a... As rugby league podcasts, anyway, we're, we're a small fish in a small pond in many ways because mm. rugby league being quite a, it is a northern sport. Let's not try and beat around the bush. And the amount of people who, who do pay attention to it outside of, like you say, the major sports of this country, football and cricket, to even be sort of competing with, with people who do podcasts for, for them subjects when they get news thrown at them constantly every day this sky sports news for 24 hours a day or talk sport or whatever it's all football or cricket or something and rugby league gets a little mention you've got to make the most of what what we get and yourself and paul doing the interviews after the game putting yourselves out there and things like that and that just shows a level of commitment to to put us in that that space between these people to get us recognized and i think that's i think it's, i think it's easier to do a a podcast on football or, or cricket or boxing or something like that because there's so much of it going on. Okay, we focus mainly on, on Salford Rugby League Club, which, like I say, is quite a small thing. But to get outside that and talk to the bigger rugby league world and then to be recognised by people further afield than that, that's that's some achievement and that'd be fantastic just to be to be mentioned in those echelons, really. Yeah. Paul, we, we talk to great people, men's players, ladies' players, the Sulphur Devils Foundation. There's stories everywhere, and, and that's part of this podcast. We're able to to reach out. So we thank them people as well for engaging with us and, and allowing us to tell their stories. Yeah, yeah. You just get, I think you just got to do it on, on your level, haven't you? I mean, that's what we've tried to do, haven't we, with, with the interviews and things like that. You, you try and talk to players and that. Is your friend, don't you? And not try and be a, a Billy expert. I mean, I, I'm no journalist. I'm, I just do central eating for a living, but I enjoy 
just doing bits and pieces. And if it, if if we do it on a supporter level, as like a lay person, what we are really at. I mean, I think people appreciate that, don't they? You're just doing it as it as your hobby sort of thing. So I've I've, I've really enjoyed doing it and learned a few things along the way. So uh, so yeah, I think it'd be nice to, to get recognised. But I think get recognised on represent our listeners as well because that's what we're doing it for, aren't we? So any awards we go for, it'd be to represent them as well, wouldn't it? So uh, can't do it without them. So and, and their support. Yeah, like I said, big thanks for all your support and we'll keep you informed about the results of, of the awards. So, let's move on now. Let's look back, sorry, to the Wakefield defeat. All the big news stories coming out with the Salford Devils and then we'll preview the Leeds game on Sunday. So we'll start with the defeat at Wakefield. You're listening to Devil in the Detail and this is your Big Match Review. So, Salford Devils travelled to Wakefield on Friday night and went down to defeat. 32 points to six. Parker. Yeah, it was error June. There was not much intensity. Wakefield, desperate at the bottom of the table, looking for a win. We've come off a short turnaround. It just wasn't the right time for us. Yeah, look, as I mentioned earlier, people on the coach on the way back were not ribbing, but they were they were saying, "Oh, you're gonna what are you gonna say on the podcast? How are you gonna wrap this one? Or how are you gonna be positive about this?" And I, I only told them what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna be honest, and that was disgusting on Friday night. I understand we have injuries. Wakefield had twice as many injuries and probably a poorer team than we've got. There's no excuse there. I, I understood that the, the, the case that missing Brayley. Croft and, and Akers, our attack was going to struggle a little bit. It's going to be clunky. There's players out of position. I get that. But there is nothing to stop any player defending and tackling the man in front of him. And that fell apart on Friday night. Some of our defending was absolutely woeful and, and amateuristic at times. It looked like the players didn't know each other. Even though it's the closest knit team I've, I've probably ever seen at Salford. These players, there isn't many of them, but it seems to be a really good group there, but they looked disinterested. Mm. From the first couple of minutes when, when Wakey scored, I thought, that's it. That's the kick up the back that we're going to need to boost for this game. We're not going to let these beat us. We knew they were fighting. They, they need to they want to stay in the Super League. Of course they do. But it never woke us up. And we had a, probably a five-minute spell in the second half where we had a goal. But other than that, there was nothing to shout about. Nothing at all. And, and I hate being like this. And, and I understand it's one. It's a bad game. We've had a bad game. That's It's out of the way, hopefully. We did have players missing. But there are certain elements of that game. It's not It's not losing. As a Salford fan of 40-odd years, I get losing. I understand losing. But it's how you lose games and what you put into it. And if any of them play, I, I think probably two players out of that squad on Friday night can probably look at themselves and go, yeah, I think I did all right. But the rest of them really needed to have a sit down and a chat. I felt for Paul Roller. I really did. He, he must have been wondering where this has come from. I saw him at half-time and at full-time walking across the pitch and he, he looked devastated. Now, he's a man that doesn't really show his emotions, but he looked like he'd been beaten by something. But it was, It's horrible to see and it's out of the way. I hope it's a one bad, really bad performance. And, and I'm not taking anything away from Waker. They fully deserved it. They were up for it. They were faster. They were stronger. Their offload game was, was brilliant. Even their defence at times was spot on. But we looked at like we lacked ideas. And But it was the defending that hurt me the most. I don't. I knew, like I said, I knew we'd, we'd have struggle going forward. But every man has to do a job at defending. 
you stop what's in front of you. There was one point in the first half, I think it was Liam Hood, was it Liam Hood? Picked the ball up from acting out and just ran, just simply ran. And, and nobody moved. I mean, we're not talking James Roby or Cameron Smith. You know what I mean, this is not no disrespect to the lad, but he's not the greatest we'll ever see at playing in that role. And we, we made it look easy for him. And that was what's disappointing. And, and the number of Salford fans that had travelled on Friday night as well, I really, I really felt. And um, that them numbers can easily drop off if you see performances like that, because it reminded me of late 90s, early 2000s. And that's how bad it was. But uh, I'm just hopeful now that that's behind us. We get players back and we move on. Yeah. Out enthused, outworked. Paul, it kind of reminded me of, uh, remember when we played Wakefield and Mark Corvo did that tap mm. penalty mm. and dropped mm. that the whole night kind of reminded me of that. I just couldn't get out of the spiral, kept knocking on, just mm. weren't able to build anything. Uh, like Parker said, Paul Rowley, we'll put him on in a minute. He wasn't happy about the performance. Adam Sidlow in a previous one of our pop-up co- podcasts said he got into him in the changing room, which is right. But yeah, disappointing. But like you said, they're fighting for their lives and we just couldn't find a way. Yeah, I, I thought they were beaten before they went out, Rob, to be honest with you. I think all the talk in the week from people on Twitter and supporters was, we're not going to win there, they sat on the other. And I think the players must have been listening to that and rubbed off on, rubbed off on them. They didn't even compete. We didn't compete in that game. You had Wakefield there, a team so low on confidence, they 20-odd points up, they kept kicking penalty goals. That's how low they were on confidence because they, they knew, they, they were panicking. They were panicking when they were 20 points up because they were just desperate to win the game. So I I thought it was game over at 8-0 because there was no way we were going to come back in that game. There just wasn't. And, and all this faff that people say about injuries and, and what have you, Wakefield had players out there, more players out than we did. There was enough out there on Friday night to compete and tackle and work and nobody wanted to do the work the, it was like it was as if they'd said to each other we'll chuck this game because Wakefield the bottom of the league they're not near us so they're not going to like overtake us and get in the place it was like they just wrote wrote the game off for me and I thought it was disgusting the, the way they performed and you can't turn form on and off like a tap you mm. can't just turn around this weekend and beat Leeds they've won again they're sort of climbing up I think they're four points behind us now or two points behind they, 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 they're right near us so it was really disappointing because, like I was saying to my dad and uh, James Oski, who come with me and the, the van, we was churning on all the way home about it and saying, you get the same two points for beating Leeds as what you get for Wakefield. So that two points would have been massive for us winning there. We'd have still been up there with Lee in the table. They've won again, kept the run going. So it was really disappointing. And it was, I mean, you, you stole me thunder about the Mark Corbell thing. I think I put that on Facebook, actually. And it was, it was, Parky's right. It was like going back to the 99, 2000, 2001, that sort of four-year period there where it was absolute garbage. And it was it was funny in a way because I, I was talking to someone in the crowd and I don't think he had days like that before and this lad in front of me and he was going on as if we, we should get our money back and all this rubbish that people say. And I thought, blimey, if us guys would have had money back for the amount of times we've seen stuff like me, we to pay your mortgage off. So, <laughs> uh, no, it was, it, it was disappointing. It really was. It Sometimes you get those games or you get those nights in seasons and things don't come off. Nothing came off for us, did it? Let's have it right. So, But no, like Parky said, I agree with him. You can have all players missing and, and your attack will be clunky and all this, but you can still put the work in and, and work hard and, and make the tackles. And, and they didn't for me. We dropped off too much and Wakefield won at a canter and that's not acceptable. Yeah, I was worried about you, Paul. I didn't see you at the game and then obviously rang you a couple of times no answer I was like 
Oh, where is he? Well, no, I, I applied to go on the press list, uh, but I was going to stand with, with, with Arimajan anyway, so I thought, I'll just try and get in the press conference after the game, but I didn't have a clue where it was. The press guy didn't get back to me at Wakefield. Um, yeah. It was hard work, and I presumed it was in them flats behind the goals, but yeah, yeah. Arimajan was staying at my me, at mum's me on Friday night, so I had to go and get a bag from my van to give to my mum so she could go home with them. So I, I couldn't really hang about, really. I didn't know where it was anyway. Plus, we got stuffed, and I wanted to go home, and I was tired from work, so, so I didn't hang about. I just went. So, uh, so yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. You hit the phone <laughs> eventually, and I was like, oh, thank God for that. Yeah, I thought you were way home, yeah. You should have come with us, to be honest, Robert, I didn't. You could have actually come with us next time we got away. Get actually come with us because it saved you going in your motor. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll sort some out in the future. Definitely. Um, talking about Paul Rowley, here he is reacting to the defeat. Coach's corner. So I'm joined by uh, Paul Rowley. Defeat tonight. What's your thought? What's your thoughts on that? Um, just beating fundamentals of the game really it wasn't a complicated game plan it was very simple when you do when you have a simple plan obviously we've got a lot of disruptions in a, some key players missing but, so we give them a simple plan but that uh, simple plan needs you to apply yourself in the you know in the right manner and that's basically since uh, since I started playing this game I was taught to run hard and tackle hard and, uh, and we didn't do that it's as simple as that yeah nothing seems to stick tonight I suppose that's the way we play but moments like sort of tonight sort of makes you think sort of sort of why does it not stick all the time nah, it wasn't about not sticking it was about not running hard and not tackling hard it's right. as simple as that they ran over us uh, we had a lot of missed tackles it's as simple as that so uh, Wakefield conceded enough points uh, you know for a lot of points so uh it was it was never about creating magic to get round them. We wanted to go through them, uh, but like I said before, you've got to come with the right mentality and, and play with the right energy and enthusiasm. We knew they would have lots of it because it was the, effectively their grand final. We do or die. They're on a cliff edge, um, so we had to match that and more some, and we didn't. Thank you. Yeah, obviously still towards the top of the table, but obviously a long week now. Try and get a, try and get the boys back up again. Yeah, yeah, that's sport, isn't it? So we, I, I, you know, we I always get asked this question, same answer. That they're a good group. Um, you, they, they, we didn't really need to chat at the end of the game. It was all done at half time. Um, um, it's, but it's difficult when you start a game with the right amount of energy to and enthusiasm to put it in during the game. It's uh, you, you don't see many teams do that and change change that sort of mentality. But I think I think probably we've seen we wait till about 65 minutes and King caught a kick off. And, and skittled a few, and then and then I think Reese Williams, and then Cal, uh, and and effectively that was the blueprint for the game. I, I don't, you know, it, it took them 65 minutes to to bend the back and yeah. and, and, and run with a bit of vigour. Yeah, no Brody Croft, no Mac, uh, no Ryan Briley, no Andy Ackers as well. Uh, obviously, p- p- sort of major players in our in our spine, really. Yeah, and Stoney as well. So we've had four, but but. It's a squad game, isn't it? And uh, and that's where we'll always come unstuck. We, it's not a secret. We, we, we're always on a bit of a cliff edge with squad size. We have 26 players. Uh, a couple of them are season long now, obviously, in Shame Wright and Green, who's been out all year. So that's 24 players. It's uh, it's a short, rot- small rotation for keeping healthy bodies, you know. So Chris Atkin were jabbed up before a game as well. He's not trained all week with a foot injury there. So credit to him. Uh, as always, he, he, he put in a good stint. There were some good performers out there. He never let you down. Uh, some people tried hard. Yeah. Thanks for talking to us tonight. Yeah. Chin up and we'll, we'll go again next week. Absolutely, Rob. Always. Cheers. Thank you. 
So that was Paul Rowley reacting to the defeat against Wakefield Parker. Uh, mm. Disappointed. We've we've talked about why he was disappointed. I gave him the option about his, the way he plays and then not sticking, and that's why we we kind of spiraled and got beat. But he was like, no, didn't bend the back enough. Des- we got what he deserved. It's funny we were talking about that during the game. The fact that maybe it's, it, at times like that, it's just time to put the ball under your shirt and run. Don't try offload. Don't try and be clever. We, we're not in this game. Just, just don't give them the ball. Just, just do the simple things. I mean, that, that's the way it works anyway. And because uh, it, it Roly Ball, he's he's fantastic when it works. We know it is. But if it doesn't, and I, I think I said it earlier in the season, we you can easily come up with a spanking, and we did. Mm. Um, we didn't keep all the ball at any point. I mean, dropping it from kickoffs and stuff like that's embarrassing, but. Just, just in general play, it seemed like we were trying to offload every time we got the ball. And it was like, at least have a couple of drives. Don't do it on the first tackle. You're just making yourself do more work. And, and Paul Rowley was right as well in the, in the same way. He won't want to change his style. That's his style and that's how he's going to play. It's up to the players to do the work. And if it's not working, then, then just don't keep trying the same thing. I think you're on the pitch at the time. You're in control of that game. Not, not the, the manager can't do anything once you're on that pitch. So sit, just play what's in front of you from that point on. And, and he's right about bending your back. And just like Paul said, just put the work in. Tackle a man. He's not. That's the basics. And he, I do, I, like I said before, I really felt for Paul because I heard a few comments about rolling his role, do that role, he sort this role. He, he's never had that while he's been in charge of us. And he definitely doesn't deserve it because that, that on Friday night wasn't his fault. That's just purely the players not doing the job. And, and I said last week, that this game against Wakey was pivotal to our season. I really thought it was. After two defeats, I thought set us, if we could win away there with players missing, it'd set us up nicely for the rest of the season. You get a few bodies back. Now, now we're clinging on to this top six. Saints are, I think Saints are still behind us, but or even if they're ahead, but they've got a game in hand anyway. So they'll stretch away. So now we're looking down and we shouldn't be after the season we've had so far. So it was a massively disappointing game. And Paul Rowley, like I say, he must have been pulling his hair out when he got home Friday, thinking, what what have I just seen? That's not that's not the team I coach. That's not the team he sees every day in training. And he said himself that, like you said earlier, and Paul said, the, the players we had on that pitch were good enough, not just to compete in that game, to win that game. And they, they just didn't do, in, do anything to, to merit that. Yeah, talked about making a, a simple plan and it just didn't work. Paul and that's I suppose that's frustration on him because obviously like like we said short turnaround no spine it's going to affect what he thinks he can make this team produce on it so it's uh, it would have been obviously a bit of a, a signal for him but got to bounce back yeah that's right you, you you've got to bounce back you've got to put that work in and at the end of the day that's your job and as a professional rugby league player mm. your job is to to go out there and tackle if i got my job and leave gas leaks everywhere i get sacked so you've got to go there and do the work haven't you and for whatever reason that didn't happen so you don't chuck, chuck, as a supporter you shouldn't anyway chuck your ties out of the pram and disown the club it's one of them things you've just got to get on with it now except except i mean i was like that you, you sort of come home from the match and you you sulk a bit don't you and then the next day you you're thinking about the next game then aren't you and sometimes you see people in the match now they have a right meltdown don't they some of them in the stand at the on Friday it's like this happens it's sport I, I get it but yeah we've got to go again now haven't we and um, 
and we've got a tough game to go against Leeds as well but like you said it's one of them you want to move on from now I mean I didn't go to the press conference so I don't know what Paul Rowley was like but I've got a good picture of what you said and in your interview with him as well and you can't blame Paul Rowley for it people in the crowd are moaning at Rowley he's not missed any tackles he's not out there he sends his players out there they've got to do a job haven't they so uh, like we've we've said there, there was enough quality out there. You had experienced guys like Callum Watkins and Ken Seo, Tim Laffey and the rest of them, Chris Atkin, they have been they've been around the block, haven't they? So it was it, it was a funny performance. I wasn't expecting I wasn't expecting that, if I if I'm honest. I, I thought we'd it'd be a close game, I thought we'd win the game. But to get walloped for the biggest defeat of the season just took us all by surprise, I think. Yeah. Looking at the stats, this is interesting, this Parker. Total meter made, okay. Ken Seo, 190. Callum Watkins, 117. Max Need, 101. King V, 101. Dion Cross, 110. Reese Williams, 125. And Tyler Dupree, the best of the rest, at 59. So we always say, get over 100, you go in the right direction. Not this time. I think the over 100 thing has to be for the forwards, though. The backs mm. get more space. You know what I mean? Ken Seo, fullback. When he caught the ball 30, 40 yards, start. You know what I mean? I mean, Ken was, I'm not picking Ken out, by the way, but he was one of the, the very few that came out of the game with any credit. Yeah. It's forwards. And when you say there that Cal made 100 nod, well, that doesn't surprise me because he's always doing something. And King V was up there, but the next one's 50 odd. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not good enough. That's nowhere near good enough. And our forwards were bullied on Friday night. Absolutely bullied. I don't know what's going on. Yes, we missed. Shane Wright, who, who is an absolute star, but he's out for the season. That You've got to forget that. Sam Stone, who's been tremendous for us, was missed. But they're not really the meter makers, are they? Mm. It's the big men in the, in the front row that should be doing that. And I, I don't know what's wrong, but we just don't have that impact on the pitch. And that's where the problem is. I, I understand the backs are making make meters, and they will do, but we need... if we The next time you read it out, if we have five forwards over 100 metres, I'll be impressed. Yeah. That, that, that'd be more of impressive than like wall. That, that, like you say, you build your platform, don't you? And that's yeah. what your forwards yeah. are there for. If you can build a platform, you, your backs can play off the back of it, and that's how you score tries. Mm, top tacklers, Paul. Callum Watkins, 35. Max Need, 22. Andrew Dixon, 36. King V, 30. Oliver Parton, 36. Adam Sidlow, 30. Amy Borough, 33. And... Uh, and Helliwell 33. Surprising with that because we missed plenty mm. of tackles. Mm. That's a real surprising stat, that. Like Pag said about the, the forwards, I think, for me, we've lost three games on the spin now, OK, uh, Wigan and, and the Wakefield game. And I think in all three matches, we have been bullied in the forwards, completely bullied. I thought Wigan had us at arm's length. I think the OKR game, we was we was poor mm-hmm. okay. we we got battered in that game and there could have been a lot more if Wakefield had had a bit more ambition and weren't as nervous and as desperate as what they were they'd have got fifty points I think in that game I think they took the two countless times they were desperate they were desperate to win and you could see that they were a nervous team so what we've got to do now is put that right because if we don't Leeds are going to get forty points this weekend they'll, they'll tonk us because they're playing well and they've got a good pack of forwards as well so we we've got to do something different there and I don't know what it is. We've got some decent forwards, but for whatever reason, it, it's not working. I mean, Jack Armour can't get in the team, can he, at the moment? He's He's been the 18th man, water carry. He's one of the biggest forwards we've got. So what's going on there? So I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the thing is. I know they, 
the, the tackling numbers are pretty good there, but there was an awful lot of missed tackles. And sometimes you, you can read a lot into stats, don't you? But the biggest stat is the, is the, is the score. Yeah, I just like you say, is it a sign of the what the spiral? Obviously, you're running low. People, certain people are running loads. You're making loads of tackles, but is it not playing intellectual? Is it is it just panic? Like we need to we need to find a way to break the cycle here. That could be something, maybe. I don't know. Average gains, Parker, Kensio, 10. Callum Watkins, 11. King V, 13. Tyler Derpery, 8. Adam Sidlow, 8. Ellis Longstaff, 13. Amay Bora, 9. And then Ben Halliwell, 8. Well, they're getting over into double figures per, for each game. That's that's quite impressive, really. And Callum Watkins has appeared in all three so far. So he's doing his work in defence, attack and everywhere else. So who's he covering for? Who's not doing that work? Mm. That's the problem that we've got to identify. And like Paul said, they're going back to the tackling one. I'd like to see the missed tackle stats because there's probably nearly as many as them as there was tackles made last Friday night. And I don't want to keep banging on about him being negative, but it, that's how bad it was. Anyone who wasn't there who didn't see it, believe me, it was bad. But yeah, with the average gains, the forwards again, yeah. I mean, that's I'm, I'm slightly surprised it's that many because I don't remember making any meters throughout the game. Mm. Um, but I mean, Cal Watkins is, a, is an absolute star, and, and you mentioned King V there getting was it thirteen? I mean, that's that's yeah. quite impressive. Um, but again, I, I didn't really know what he sat. I'll be honest. And then there, there is a, there is an anomaly here when when we've got we right, we got we got Gerard back, which is fantastic news for us. We've missed him so much. But but as a club who doesn't have any props, really, why Orman Roy isn't involved? Is there, is there a problem with him or is it because we need as many big men out there or at least on the bench to come on as we possibly can? And the other week against Wigan, I know it, it kind of worked in our favour when Ryan Braley got injured, but we're going with like Costello on the bench and I'm not sure what that offers when you've got a centre on the bench when you realistically you want a prop second row or somebody like that. So it'd be interesting to find out what's going on there with, with, with Jack because people keep telling me how, how good he is. Personally, I think he's had a a much lesser season than he had the back end of last season. Much lesser. But he is a unit mm. and we need that in the team. So be interesting to get to the bottom of that one. Yeah. Started season injured any, I think. Remember his first is it two friendlies, he hurt his shoulder in both. Mm. So that might be a factor. Maybe he's finding getting fit, maybe that could be a thing. We say I'll ask Paul Rally, see what he says. A big thanks for you three with Match Post Man of the Matches. Mark, poor discipline, predictable. He doesn't have a man of the match. Stuart Smart, lack of spine. King, Jay Moshinson, uh, utter, utter dross. CEO, Ben Wheeler, error, error, error. CEO, Paul Whiteside's mate, Roy Ellaby. Dismal, clueless, embarrassing. No man of the matches. CS, dipping form. Stephen Doyle, very, very poor. CEO and uh, Big Frank, too many errors, Paul. Yeah, I think a lot of it for me was down to the attitude as well. There was a try that Wakefield scored. I think it was Kershaw, the winger, went mm. over and, and they let him go around the, behind the post. And to me, that's sacrilege that. You stop him from going around the post because we go around behind the post, it's an easy goal for him. And it was just little things like that. I thought there were so many unforced errors. I mean, I don't want to call players out and, and what have you, but Joe Burgess, I mean, he's a player who's low on confidence at the moment. I don't know what what the answer is there with him he's, he's really struggling at the moment and I like Joe but his concentration levels in that game were, were poor some daft errors throwing the ball in there and everywhere and I don't know there, there was a lot 
in that game where you, 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 perhaps there's other players waiting for somebody else to do the, the business. I mean, one player I thought was outstanding was, was Ken Seal. I mm. thought he just ran his blood to water him and he was doing the work of three players at the time. So, yeah, it was it was a night to forget, really. Wakefield. I mean, I didn't really have a, a man of the match. It was just one of them. I was waiting for the Hooter to go, to be honest with you. And I think Wakefield's got the worst Hooter going. You can't even hear it. It's like, <laughs> like, it's like a really poor Hooter, like a fog on, wasn't it? Yeah. But, uh, but no, it was, a, it was a night to forget, really. And uh, I, I don't even think Wakefield were that good. I thought... They just they were workmen like they just they were enthusiastic and they brought that for Fafita on. I think he only played about ten minutes, but I thought Gale bossed it for them. He kicked well. Gale kicked. He punished. They were punishing kicks. They were turning us round. Our kicking game is garbage. Yeah. The last tackle play, yeah. you've got Sneed dollying the ball in the air for for Burton. We we never score from that. Yeah. And it's not it's not testing the opposition. It's handing the ball straight back to them. We didn't make Wakefield work for that win. We sort of we rolled over and it was like a backhander. Yeah, have the two points Wakefield and you know, you have a chance of staying up. It it was poor and what's worrying me at the moment as well as the defence. The defence at all care was, was was rubbish. It was pretty poor in that second half against Wigan. We're starting to leak points and for a team that's prided ourselves on defence, particularly mm. last season. That seems to be going out of the window a bit now, and it's those those good processes that we had. Seems to be disappearing a bit. That hard work that Paul Rowley's built this team on, and we always talk about the Rowley ball, but you've got to build it on the hard work and the defence because you're not going to win games by chucking the ball all over the show. You've got to do the spade work as well, and that seems to be disappearing. So this week's a big week now, let's put it right. Yeah. Moving on, our ladies were in action at weekend. They played Featherstone Rovers on the pitches, went down to defeat. They lost 10 points to 30. I spoke to Red Devils forward Emerald Hickey about the game, and this is what she had to say. So we're joined by Salford Red Devils ladies star Emerald Hickey. Welcome to the show, Emerald. Looking forward to talking all about uh, Salford Devils ladies. Uh, they were in action last week against uh, Featherstone Rovers at home and uh, went down to defeat 30 points to 10. Talk us through it. I think for me, as a team that I've found with the games that we've had going on, um, we've come out all guns blazing and we're 100% in. And, you know, the heart's always there, but sometimes it doesn't always come together. And I think that's kind of what happened with this game. In my eyes, we are equal to them. And if not, we could be better than them if we aren't already. Mm. But in that game in particular, I think we came out with our hearts, but we just didn't leave it on the pitch in that first half. You know, it just didn't seem to glue. It didn't seem to come together the way it did in the second half. Like the second half, it was so equally weighted. It was one-on-one. You know, there was no clear better team in that second half. And we, we gave everything we could. And it's just kind of hard when we didn't give it in that first half, in my opinion. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, the other girls will probably agree too. It's kind of hard to come away with a loss. There's a lot of things to learn from it. Personally, for me as well, we're able to watch the games back and kind of pick up, you know, on the things you did yourself. And then for the team on whole, it's always good to get a game. And even if it is a loss, to learn from it. And then we'll take it to them when we play at their home. Yeah, it was. It, they said they raced into into a twenty twenty nil lead early on. But I've watched the game back. I don't think it was sort of a twenty nil sort of game for me. You were just caught with a, a bit of a su- two sucker punch tries in the back end of that sort of first twenty five minutes. Which you know, against when you're playing against sort of super league sides, uh, that that can happen. Can't it? It's hundred percent. They worked us a little bit in that first half. Um, they picked us at the wing 
and kind of caught us out there twice in a row in about seven or eight minutes if that if you're looking at the first 10 minutes when i was watching it back it's equally weighted no one was getting anything it was well played and they just kind of caught us in a bad moment and we we didn't play off that the way we should have i think the good thing about our girls and our team is no matter what the score is we're, we're, we're still coming out we're still fighting for every every try and every point and that's what's amazing about this team but in that game in particular we let them get on top of us when we shouldn't have because they ain't any better than us and we definitely showed that in the second half and um, that we could you know step up show out and give a good game for obviously the crowd and for Salford yeah, you obviously you got into the arm wrestle then just before half time. Our first try of the game, wonderful effort by Sage Bannister from the scrum, eighty meters, beat the cover, went through the post. I'm thinking one of the great, one of the best tries of this this season for me. Fantastic effort from her, and uh, we're on the board uh, just approaching half time. Yeah, that was absolutely unreal. I have to be honest, I was on the bench then, mm. and it's kind of hard when you're on the bench because it was quite far away from us and I did think for a second that full back was just going to grab her but Sage who's unreal like myself she's coming from Union you know hadn't even seen a game of league and Salford have took them under, under, under their wings and has absolutely kind of mothered that ability to play some really good rugby and she is you know the kind of emphasis of what it means to come from a union and be an unreal league player. And that's something that I look up towards. And I think she is someone that everyone in the league needs to be keeping an eye on because she is absolutely unreal. Defensively, she's a beast. And once she's got that ball in hand as well, she, you ain't catching her at all. Yeah, she's a real finisher. You could tell. I could always think when you're watching wingers and centers score tries, when they hit a gap, they're not looking. They just know where, where to run. And you could, you could sense that. Like, say, Featherston came across, but total pace. Burnham on the outside. Wonderful try. We went in 26-6 down at half-time. What was the, the changing room like? Was obviously Chris Bates not happy? To be honest, give Chris's due. He doesn't come in there like many coaches I've had in the past playing union and stuff. And they don't come at you. He doesn't come at you the way a lot of them coaches do. Hmm. He kind of goes on the side of, I'm disappointed for what are we going to do to fix this? This is what we're going to do to fix it. This is how we're going to do it. And you're going to do it on that pitch. No questions asked. No if or buts. We're going to go and do it. So he's very much about getting behind players who make those little mistakes and stuff like that. And when it comes to them changing rooms, that's no different. All three of them, Dawn, Matt and Bates, they're always about not what's happened, but what we can do from that. Mm. Um, and they're always expecting us to be at that level. And when they're not, they don't hold us accountable but rather they push us to get back to that level and go beyond that. And that's something that I really thrive off in the changing rooms, that environment of you can do better than that. Why aren't you doing it? Let's do it. And I absolutely love that. And that's why I absolutely love being part of this team because it pushes me to, to go out and put that fight up no matter what the score is. And I think the coach is doing a really unreal job with that. Yeah. Second half uh, started. We ramped up, like you said. And I thought we were a better team in the second half. I thought we had plenty of chances, tested them on the edges and down the middle. Like you said, they had a head start. But we, you know, we went for them in that second half. Yeah, 100%. Like I said, that second half, no team was better than the other. Hmm. And I think if anyone was, it was definitely us. We got into the heads a little bit. They didn't like it. They thought, going into that second half, we've got this. They're going to, you know, take a step back, take the loss. And I'm telling you, you know, we absolutely weren't. Mm. Um, we went out all guns blazing, every defensive line, we were pushing up every ball we wanted. And I think it went to show when we got them two scrums um, 
and as a forward pack we turn around to each other like yeah yeah we're going to push we're going to push and twice on their try line we forced mistakes yep. and it got in their heads so much they were getting so aggy um, and I think we really started to manipulate the game and play our game and make them play to our level and I think that's what changed that second half we had our hearts on our sleeves but we forced them to play our game yeah, we obviously pushed pressure on him. Brogan Evans went close. A lovely kick by uh, Louise Fellenham, picked up by Alex Simpson, who crashed over in the corner. 26-10 with about 15 minutes to go. And at that point, we were all over him. We had chances. Darcy Price went on a rampaging run. Uh, Lauren Ellison nearly went over in the corner as well. Steph Grader tried this aloud. If you kind of add all them up, it's a closer game than the scoreboard suggests. I think even them, there was more opportunities than that. Mm. There was they just caught us off. There was a moment. Oh, I'm trying to think who it was. Um, who pretty much took the ball over the try line and put yeah. the ball down, and it the ball just knocked on. Other than the one that um, Vicky did, so there were so many opportunities there and so many moments that tries could have come or should have come or did come that they never had in that second half. Where as soon as they got down in our half, they either, unfortunately, got the try or never made it down there. Mm. And I think, for me, that's a testament to the team that we are and what we can be. And it is, we are a team that people should keep an eye out for. And especially when it comes into them last, you know, minutes, 10, 20 minutes of the game. Because we ain't stepping back. We're going to keep pushing and we're going to go for every try. Yeah. So one two lost two at the moment in, in Super League. Obviously, you've got a good side there. You've come in and shown, shown some sort of good form as well. Uh, obviously, you must be looking forward to the rest of the season. You know what? Coming into league has been an absolutely unreal experience. And it's not just coming into league, it's coming into Super League. And that kind of step up for me. When I look at the teams we're about to play or the players we're about to play against, I don't think about them. I just think about what us and what we can achieve and how confident I am in what we can do. I'm excited to play against Barrow this weekend. I've got someone I know in the team who I've never played against or with before, which is quite cool. Um, so I'm excited to play against her because she's um, a really good contender. Her name's Emily. And then moving forward to other games in the season, there's players, teams and players we played against in Castleford. We absolutely brought it to them at their home ground and I absolutely cannot wait until they come to us yeah. and we absolutely you batter them in front of a massive crowd. I'm so excited for that. And I think any any team, wherever they are in the league, wherever they've been there a while or they've just come up like we have, anyone's for the taking. Any yeah. win can be a win. And I'm telling you now, Salford won it. So that was Emerald Hickey talking to myself, Parky, about the defeat against Featherston Rovers. Obviously disappointed with the result. She mm-hmm. says that they worked hard and matched Feverson in many departments uh, throughout the game, uh, but unfortunately went out defeat. Yeah, speaking to Vicky Kinney and Helena Walker on Monday night, they, they both sort of admitted that we, we're we struggling to start games at the moment. And it's the same in any edge. It doesn't matter what level you're playing at. If you give teams a start, you're always going to struggle. Phyllis has been a team that's been around for a while, the women's team. They've got some really, really, really good talent in there. And and we we just let them off the hook again. We've let them get out the the starting blocks before us. And but like like they explained that we still got players there who are playing in the first couple of games of rugby league. They, they they come from rugby union. They cross over. Getting used to everything about the game is different. The tackling style, obviously, in rugby union as well. They've, they've got a trial of how high you can tackle now and all that kind of. It's, it's getting your brain to go through all that. And, and we're still learning. We're still a young team. We're st- I don't mean just in age. I mean as a as a unit. And and these games are learning games. This is where we and the girls are understanding. 
where we're going wrong. They know that, like say, they're starting slowly. They're not quite into the game. Maybe there is a difference in the step up of quality. We get that. This is sort of super league compared to the championship. And but they, they understand and they they're working hard to get to get it right each week. And they they're trying to get more players in and and then educating them in the game. These girls at Featherstone have been playing the game for God knows how long. They they know it inside out and. You give teams a start, and that's what's going to happen. And it, it, we are learning, but we're still we're still in there. We're not. I know the scoreline probably doesn't at thirty ten. You think, oh, it's a bit of a, but it, it, it's not. It's not like that. You just can't give someone a what a twenty point start and try and win a game. But obviously, in certain patches there, we must have matched them. Yeah, two tries from us. One from Sage Bannister. One from Alex Simpson. The Sage Bannister try, Parker, unbelievable. Basically, for the people who wasn't there, haven't seen it. Salford had a scrum on there, 20, we went short side, Bannister collected the ball, burst the Featherston line, raced 90 metres to the corner, followed by five or six Featherston players, beat the cover, went round the, under the posts, possibly best individual try of the season for me. Yeah, it was a superb try, absolutely, the, the, the pace, mm. it was unbelievable, they say you saw it all chase, it was like Keystone Cop, yeah. <laughs> everyone's after her, trying to get hold of her. Brilliant. And the way she split the line in the first place, you've yeah. seen the gap and just slid through it unbelievably. And then it's just a foot race to the line and she was so quick. And like you say, the right frame of mind there to go around under the post as well rather than just taking the easy option. Brilliant. And that, they're, the, they're the glimpses of individual quality we've got. And, and the other thing is, the girls mentioned the other night, that every week, apparently this season we haven't had the same starting lineup. Not once because of injuries or players not being available. So you ne- you're never going to get continuity. The players are, are going to be playing with halfbacks, might have a different halfback with them, or centre wing partnerships, or whatever it is. And it takes time to build them relationships. And it's easy in training, but when you get out there on the park, you need to know who's there and who's going to be doing what. And, and at the moment, we're struggling to get bodies on the park. And that, that's another, another issue, but it'll come and it, might, it won't be this year. We, we forget how quickly we came on last year. I think we all probably, myself included, we're, we're a little bit probably taken aback, but then pushed ourselves into a position where we, we're not that, at that level yet. And, and it's, like I said the other night, I mean, people were mentioning there and the girls got a, a huge round of applause for because of the dedication and effort they're putting in. They're not getting paid for this. They've got, I think Kinney mentioned, obviously Ken Seal's wife, who plays in the back row for us. That she, she looks after the kids most of the time. She's got other work to do and obviously look after Ken. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I can imagine that's quite tricky at times, having spoken to Ken the other night. But he, uh, but, but she, they've got other commitments and yet they, they put up like three, four times a week for training. Then on a match day, it's still, unfortunately, still an amateur game. Mm. And it, so it's going to take a while for it to get to that level. And when you watch... You watch the Super League teams like Wigan and, uh, uh, well, Leeds, York, Saints, and you think, wow, they make it look easy in, in the women's game. That's where we're, we're trying to get to, but it's going to take us a while, and I think we just need to, to realise that now and know that we are going to get a few, there are going to be defeats along the way, but it's all about learning, and they are doing, and like I said, having spoke to them the other night, you can see that and you can see the passion in them that they want to succeed, and they want to succeed together. Yeah, the Alex Simpson try, Paul, the captain, fantastic, Louis Fellham, little kick through, ball sat up nice for Alex Simpson who collected it and dived over in the corner. But like for the last that's 15 minutes at the end, 
and it was like the Alamo. We, we sat on their line and we really tested them. And obviously, like you said, like we said, the first 20 minutes and, and the, the, the lead that Featherstone built, they needed it at the back end. Yeah, clinging on, I think, a bit there, weren't they, Featherstone? But they, they'd done a bit of good work to get into that that lead. But I think the Salford ladies show that we got the quality, some of the tries that they're scoring. Like we said before, it's a difficult step up as well. And, and you can't always just go from where you were last season and straight in and, and dominate at that level that you've got to, you've got to work at things haven't you it's not the end of the world so they're just going to keep getting better better and better and I'm sure I'm sure they will they're showing some good signs there aren't they so as you said I think as as things go on they'll be in a better place next season yeah so that's our look back at both matches this weekend and now we'll look and see what's happening in the world of rugby league and so for the devils So we'll start, Parkett, with the big news that the RFL lost a million quid in 2022-2023. Payments for the clubs have been reduced. Plot positive is the participation levels are up, which is great, but still a massive chunk in the, in everyone's finances. Well, I know we'll come on to it shortly as well, but... It doesn't surprise me. It really does. I know we hosted a World Cup, which is also, I don't know what, what accounts that's going to come out of at what point. And like you say, participation is up. Because, I mean, you look at our club alone. We've gone from having just a first team to having a reserves, a women's team, PDRL, LDRL, wheelchair, whatever. So if that's going on across the board at professional level, what, what's going on with the, the amateurs and all that? So yeah, that's fantastic news. And we all know what rugby league's a brilliant game whether you're playing or watching it I don't think there's any sport like it and yes I am biased but I don't care but the way the RFL is run is still like an old committee a conservative club or something a working men's club it's still old boys doing silly things and uh, making silly decisions there are so many ways they could have saved money and don't and yet this is for a, an organisation that doesn't do much to promote the sport as far as I'm concerned and the, the main bugbear I've got, and like I say, we're going to come on to it, is getting a TV deal, getting a decent sponsorship deal. A, a sort of blue chip company. I don't mean a TV set. I mean, like, no disrespect, we have like mushy peas and things like that. Sponsor, it's not, it's not selling the game and it's not going to bring in mega bucks to spread, to go to all the clubs, then down to the amateurs and everywhere else. Although the money should start at the amateurs and come up. But that's, again, that's a different matter. And it makes it harder for clubs, I think, to go out and get a sponsor. Because they, you go and ask a, a sponsor in the area, we're, we're, we've been great, we've got Selco there, and a nationwide company, but you go out and ask someone and say, you, we sponsor our club or, or whatever, it, however it happens. And they go, well, what, what do we get? Where's our coverage? What are we going to make out of this? So you pulling money in as a club is difficult, but it's got to start at the top with the RFL. And it doesn't surprise me that they've lost money. There are... There are people working in that organisation who, for me, I probably wouldn't let work in a charity shop. <laughs> Paul, how does it sport turn itself around? Yeah, with great difficulty, Rob. I think it's been run pretty poorly for for a long time now. Since so, I, I've been watching it anyway. So it, it's difficult because, like Parky said before, it, 
it's a minority sport in this country, really. We're not global. We're not massive. We're in a small area. They've tried to spread it, haven't they, and get it everywhere, but it's not, is it? It's a really difficult question. I wish I, I wish I knew who I was going to ask me this, and I could have prepared for it. But oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they go about it. I think, like like Pags, I don't think we we sell we sell the sport short sometimes, don't we? And some of the sponsorship deals that we get. I mean, go back a few years ago. We're sponsored by Eddie Stolbert. He's like, oh, he won't give us any money, but he'll put some pictures on the wagons and that. But it's like, hang on a minute, who's running the show? Peter K. It's like Phoenix Knights or something. It's, it's just, it's just naff the way it is. And I don't know. Parky's right. It's a bit like the old boys club, isn't it? Some of the people that are there running it. it just, I mean, like this IMG thing that you're probably going to talk about. They've sold the soul to that, right? How many millions of pounds are they paying this private company to come in and tell us how to run our sport? It's like, why have you give them all that money for them to tell you the obvious? They're telling you stuff, and you're going on about stuff that was done years ago, like this point scoring. It's just like framing for the future for the end of the 90s. So you've paid millions of pounds for them to, to tell you how to run your own sport. So... I don't know. I'm just a gas man. I, I don't know these things, but I'd probably have a better way of running it than, than they're doing. So, But you asked me the question, what's the answer? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to, to, to make things better, but you can't run it any worse than what's being run. Mm. I think, me, clubs, players and organisation need to work together. They need to put sport over self to start yeah. with, which basically means there will be, have to be sacrifices. People will have to feel the burn, both at the club level and player level. Professional rugby league, has it failed? Because obviously it's been going since what, mid, wow. sort of late night is trying to be professional. And the competition is is better. But are we reaching out to, a, to an audience there who know what we're about? Because at the moment, for me, it's just insular. All we all we talk about is to each other, not people outside our bubble, and that's the problem with with rugby league. And that's and how do you fix that? I don't know. Obviously, I, I agree with the clubs. What the club is doing, like helping the players, looking after their careers after they started to finish playing, and that's a big thing, uh, which which hopefully that can grow and, and players can improve as people and as players. So, Parky, it's a difficult situation that. Everybody has a has a finger in, but we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. You know, Rob, you just said something there that I've never thought of, and it, it makes it, it's absolutely spot on. You, you said it, as professionalism failed, hmm. yes, because being professional doesn't just mean paying players not to go to work. It means the whole sport, the whole everything to do with clubs. When we went, when we all went full time in the nineties. The clubs behind them were amateur. Do you know what I mean? We were still running. We're, we're a perfect example of that. We were running with three members of staff or something. We had no, whatever it was in the 90s, we, we were off the, off the park. Nothing was professional. It's okay giving players full-time jobs and saying, that's it. You, you, don't, you don't work anymore. You play rugby league. You're a professional. The word professional doesn't just mean that everything's got to be professional. And we weren't, and, and most clubs weren't. Don't forget, Wigan were a professional club for all the way through the 80s, basically, before anybody else. Leeds slowly got into it and so on. But it's what you do off the pitch that makes you professional. Mm. You know what I mean, I, I think, I mean, you watched us on Friday night, you could have got 
17 players out of the championship to put in a performance like that. So that wasn't professional, but that's that's a different matter. But you've made you've made a very good point and and no, the sport isn't professional enough. Still isn't, I don't think. But that comes from the very top, from the RFL down. And that was never put in place at the time. And like Paul said about framing the future, that was the opportunity back then with Maurice Lindsay and people like that. And it got it got poo-pooed a little bit, didn't it? And, and sort of, we don't want this, we don't want that. I think the idea was right. But it's all about the clubs not looking after self-interest yeah. at that time going, if we go, if, if this changes now, we can't keep up, we can't be part of that, so we won't get involved, which isn't good for the sport. And there's another point to that. I mean, you're going about us losing money. I know it's Super League and it's separate to the RFL, but I'd like to see the figures come out for the Magic Weekend as to how much it costs and how much we actually make. Is it worth it? Now, the thing is, with believe you said it yourself, it, it, it is very, we said it, it is insular. And you say anything negative about rugby league to another rugby league person, and you're wrong. Rather than you can't question the sport, you can't question anything. Oh, you're just being negative. Somebody says, I don't think the expansion has worked in these places. Oh, you, you're one of them. It's just you're a flat capper. You don't want it to move. Of course we do. Everybody, I want the whole country play. I want the whole world playing rugby league. But it's got to be done right. You don't just drop a team in a place and say, there you go, there's your team. What's behind it? Who's their rival? And that's what rugby league has done wrong for years. And nobody's ever been sort of held accountable for all this. And we can't afford to lose any more money because there's not enough money in the sport. Yeah. I think, like you say, there's too much money going out of the sport through players' wages and other other things, parlin, agents and all, and everything that, that entails a professional sport. And it's difficult. Players, it's only a short career, in it? They'll want to have a nest egg when they retire or when they go on to, to other things. So I understand why the players would want to get as big a wage as you can. But, like I said before, are you killing the sport? Mm. Because the sport hasn't got the infrastructure, like Parky said, to fund that. You know the massive One of the massive faults with rugby league is what I've noticed over the last few years is the international game, right? Your game, really, that should be the pinnacle. That that's what from that downwards, really. And to me, where it all started spiraling out of control, I believe when that went. I mean, you go back to the sort of the mid eighties when I first started watching nineties. You were getting huge crowds at Old Trafford, Wembley, places like that, watching Test matches against Australia. I know mean, you don't have Tests anymore because Australia can't come. That's another story. But since the Super League started, things like that, our sport has become so parochial. All these people are bothered about is Wigan and St. Helens. We, we, can't, we can't let our players go and play international rugby league because they might get injured and we need them for the Wigan Saints derby. And that is, the, that is what people have got. They're only interested in their own team now. They're not bothered about the international game and test matches and things like that. And, and that's the way we've gone. And that is why Rugby Union has completely took over rugby league because their international game has gone through the roof. Yeah, but... Rugby unions is also in a mess because I think four of their top flight clubs have gone bankrupt in the last 18 months. Yeah. I know that their salary cap is like three times ours, but still it's it's like, it's, has professional sport failed full stop? Well, for me, that's that's the one of the big problems that comes with extending salary cap all the time. Yeah. The clubs yeah. who don't have it will have to try and keep up. And that puts you at major risk of going back to where we were 20, 30 years ago. 
Yep. So that you, you've got to be careful of that. Just going back to what Paul said about the international game, it's something that I asked Ken CEO on a Monday night about. Obviously, he was part of that Samoan squad. They had a wonderful World Cup, made the final. What a great advert for rugby league that is, that a small nation like Samoa made a World Cup final against the mighty Australians. And I said, was he disappointed in the fact that, that there's no plan after that? That the French World Cup looks like it's been binned because they can't they can't afford it. What what was the next step? For me, you strike while the iron's hot and the international game was flying. And we should have said, right, in I don't know, April, May, there's a tournament, whether it's a European tournament or whether it's whatever it is. I know we've got Tonga coming up at the end of the year. Well, where's why aren't we playing? I mean, we played France in it. Playing France at the moment is an absolute waste of time. I don't think I think French international rugby is worse than it was twenty years ago. Mm. I don't they've not progressed at all. We we put a team out last time, like Paul said, certain players could, weren't allowed to play. We put out a kind of B team, if you like, and, and absolutely hammered them. Now you come up against the Samoans or the Fijians or, or the Tongans or whatever, put a tournament together with them guys in. You'll see a tournament, you'll see something. Let's go again. Like it's exotic, it's a bit get the international game flowing. Let France go and play Scotland and Ireland and Wales. Nothing. There's no plan. There's no idea. And, and Ken said he was disappointed. He's rugby league playing for his country. As he said that that whole World Cup thing was the biggest thing that happened in his career, mm. being part of that, that squad. That's how players feel. But they get let down, like fans get let down, by the people who organise it. And that's, again, it's going back to these people at the top. Don't just go, oh, we'll have a World Cup. Didn't we do well? Pat ourselves on the back and that's it. Go again. Get international companies involved. Then you've got money. Then you can pay players more. I've got no problem with players earning money. They deserve it. They're absolutely brilliant. They're athletes. What they do week in, week out is fantastic. And they don't get paid enough in my eyes. But the sport can't afford to pay them. So you're yeah. right. Maybe maybe professionalism has failed. Yeah. I think with rugby union, they have like autumn internationals, don't they? Where I think it's like South Africa, Australia, New Zealand all come over and play each home nation, don't they? And I yeah. think that's what we should be looking to do with the mm. likes of Samoa and Tonga, just to give everyone a competitive game and draw the crowds in a bit of an interest. And that's what we need to do. But if we just lost a million quid, there isn't much money to, to fly, I know, four squads over the other side of the world plus both seasons run parallel don't they so team their team are going to miss players aren't they as they come flying over here so it'd be interesting to see what happens there looking at Salford centric Paul are we the best candidate for how a rugby league club should be run we're well under the cap we haven't got a big benefactor we're community run I saw a table of uh, how much each club assets are worth and we were sort of at the bottom with 300k compared to other clubs that had millions of pounds of assets you could use and we're trying to build a, a club in and around the society which is which is exciting so are we sort of the the benchmark what other clubs should be looking at uh, well sometimes i think does it matter i mean all clubs are, all clubs are different it's like i think parky mentioned it last week about I think it's a black Brentford compared to Manchester United and rugby league seem obsessed with this like we've all got to be it's like communism we've all got to be equal and, and spot on well it's not, it's not a word life doesn't work like that life's not it's not everything's not equal is it things, things are different and I think sometimes rugby league don't, don't get that and people who run rugby league don't get that 
and it's like with all this IMG stuff, I, I don't get a lot of it. I think it's, I don't know, it's mind-blowing, isn't it? It's never going to be like that. So, so often, to, to answer your question, I think are doing the best with what you know, the, the tools they've got and the materials they've got. So if you've not got a big benefactor and loads of money, then what what do you do? You've just got to cut your cloth accordingly, haven't you? And I think that's what the club's doing. But uh, for, for the rugby league, I mean, you're never going to get every single team getting 20,000 every week and having loads and loads of money because sport doesn't work like that, does it? Doesn't it? Any sport's not like that. You've got Premier League football. They don't all sell out every week and have billions of pounds. It's just, that's life. Yeah. Parky thoughts are sold with the best model for a rugby league club. I think what we're going to find, I just want to say, by the way, Luton Town got promoted this year to the Premier League. Look at their ground. Look at their crowds. Nobody's complaining about it, are they, in the Premier League? No one's saying, oh, they no. shouldn't come up. So why can't Featherstone come up? I mean, why, why are Feathers going to get, probably get blocked so they can have Bradford? It doesn't make any sense. Absolute nonsense. And that's Rugby League. My pit village is better than yours. I think a lot of teams are going to find this in the not-too-distant future, Rob, that Huddersfield rely heavily on a, a man who's put his life and soul into that club. He won't be around forever. Castleford have had the same thing, benefactor. Wakefield with Michael Carter, who's done a wonderful job for him for a long time. These people are going to drift away. Then what? There aren't investors waiting out there at the moment. It's, it's virtually impossible. We've just seen it. We've had to raise 300,000 through the fans to keep this club afloat, really, and to give us a new direction. And I think in the next few years, you'll see a lot of clubs sort of go, when they were taking the mick that Salford, oh, they need the fans to bail them out. I think you'll see them check themselves and go, what, we might have to do what they've done. Mm. Because there isn't that man out there that's going to, or woman out there that's going to put millions in for us. So, I think, yes, I think we, we are. We're certainly a good case study as to how it goes forward and how it works. If we're successful, I can fully imagine half the Super League clubs becoming like us and only the, the mega rich, the Simon Moran's of this world and the guys at, at Leeds and Wigan, places like that, being an owner, just an owner. I think, yeah, I think you'll find that that's the way rugby league will go and possibly more sport because there are football teams who have already done this. So, we're not a bad example. Are we the perfect? We'll have to wait and see in the next 12 months when it all kicks in and how it's going to work. But I don't think it's a bad thing. I'll say that. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see on that. Eyes are on the story to see and see what happens. But moving forward, Paul, uh, we talked about the ING update. Everyone's doing the calculations, how each club stack up and how we're going to keep our place in Super League. Another good story, I thought, interesting story, was the potential new TV deal, which might be taking place between Dance Channel, Channel 4 and Sky Sports. I've always said we need more eyes on the prize and the product of Rugby League. Them three channels, hopefully showing good games, will do that. Yeah, and they can't do any worse than what Sky Sports are doing because I think their coverage is rubbish. What, I, what I've seen this season, it, it's really poor. So I, I've loved the Channel 4 coverage. I think they've done a really good job. Really exciting when they've been on. But yeah, I think it does. I think sometimes we sell our soul to Sky and you look the way Sky, yeah, obviously they put the money in. But it's like the way they move they move the, the games around and you have these Thursday night games and things like that. We, we seem to have sold our soul to them and, and, and just a puppet for them, really, when they need a slot to fill or oh, put rugby league on, we shift them to Thursday night. So, yeah, I hope we do get a better deal. I really do, because there, there are a lot of channels out there now. I know that Viaplay do a good job, don't they? I think they're the old uh, 
Premier Sports. I've watched a bit of the, the Championship games on that. So, so yeah, I think he, I think he does need a bit of a shake up. And don't you know, my my sort of thing to the rugby league would be don't put all your eggs in the sky basket. Let, let's just have some other channels having a bit of a say as well, and when the game should be. Yeah, the devil is always in the detail, Parkett, and mm. obviously we we don't know at the moment how much clubs are going to be paid by like the dance and Channel Four when they are broadcast. But it's important that the clubs are given some juice because they obviously will lose revenue because people watch it at home. Yeah, well, the thing, I mean, the zone is boxing, isn't it, mainly? But it doesn't really have its own channel as such. It just sort of takes on for other channels, records it for other channels. But anyway, that, I mean, it, it can't do any harm having more broadcasters. Sky do have a monopoly. And for me, in the last five, six years, I've treated rugby league like garbage. Absolute garbage. So we need we need a new direction. We need new broadcasters. And like Paul said, Channel, Channel 4 have been brilliant, but there's not enough of it. And it is free to air. So there is no money in that for, for anyone, really. We need more people to get involved. We'd like a, a bidding war between Sky and BT and somebody else. But I don't really know. We don't do that. Sky have done. This is something I've always said. It's like, if you don't want to do something, do it badly once and no one will ask you again. Now, the thing is that Sky could make a real hash of rugby league and people go, I'm not taking over that, it's rubbish. Because it's not presented correctly. But then you think, well, why would Sky want to present it? Because then somebody might come in and want to buy it and then they'll have to put their money up to keep all the rugby. So are they doing it to their own ends? Do you know what I mean? Are we trapped? And we keep signing stupid deals with them. The RFL because they're not they won't they don't have the vision to look outside. I think it's something one of the only few things that that Kukash said that made sense at the time. We signed a deal a few years ago. He said we never even spoke to anybody else. As soon as Sky went signed there, we went yeah okay. But we do need more. And the thing is with his own uh, as well is pay per view. Mm. Now is that the way forward? Will people pay for each get? Well, no, because you're going to pay mainly and watch the big games and possibly just your club. So do, how would you get a subscription going? I don't I don't know how it's going to work, but I just hope we do open the doors and other people come in. There are other TV broadcasters out there, but whatever happens, by the way, it's another bugbear, the French have to be in, isn't it? Because you can't watch your team. If you don't go, you can't watch your team in France. You go, there's no coverage, no radio coverage, no nothing. How can a professional sport do that? And yet you watch football and rugby union and everything else. It doesn't matter what it is. It's on somewhere. You'll find it. Rugby league doesn't have that. French needs its own deal. Are you Super League or not? I don't understand why you have a separate deal. You're either in or you're not. So we need that sorted. And it, it would be nice if, if somebody from somewhere else would come in and take over the sport and and do it properly. I've never understood why Sky Sports never give it a rugby channel, by the way. Mm. When you've got golf, Formula One, cricket, anything else you want, even a darts channel for a week every now and then. You could put Rugby League and Rugby Union on the same channel and have its own channel. And if you're only playing reruns, you could still do it, but they're not interested in promoting the sport. So we need to move, and we need to move quickly to, to save the sport for me. Yeah, I think the French thing might be more of a me over we because if the French were to come and join our TV deal, the amount of money we get off Sky, we'd have to do, divide that by two. So we'd have sort of a bit less. So that might be something. But like I said before, we need to 
sacrifice. In the world we live in now, everybody mm. is sacrificing, aren't they? Mm. And rugby league is the same for me. So, moving on, let's talk about Salford now. We've had our, our chat about general rugby league. Let's move on to the schools tournament, Paul. On the 16th of July at the Salford Stadium, school year six, year seven, year eight, and year nines. That club are asking to teams to get involved in that. You get a match ticket. It all sounds very exciting. I think it's for the league game. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. And that that's what we've been doing really well. I thought we with schools rugby league, junior rugby league as well. I mean it's always great when you see the, the youngsters playing on the pitch, especially at the AJ Bell. Half time, I think it's brilliant that. As a kid when I used to play rugby league, I'd love to have done something like that, play at Salford's ground. But but yeah, that, that's great news. You've got summer holidays coming up as well and uh, yeah, the more uh, the more we get to see the the youngsters the better. Yeah, we always talk about how well the foundation doing the community parking. This is another example. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know if it falls with the holidays and and so on. They're still in school at that point because that's always a difficult, difficult thing getting schools involved in the summer, isn't it? It's it's kind of like it's out of our term, so we're not we don't have to get involved. But a club again, we can't fault them. They're trying. You get you get them in for the game. They, they, they can, like you say, they get to play around the stadium. They get to see how it all works and. It is encouraging. I mean, we, schools rugby, I, I've mentioned God knows how many times, when I went to school, it was rubbish. It, it was half-hearted and nobody got involved. Not even, I mean, to be fair, not even sort of rugby league club were that bothered about it. Um, you might get the odd player every now and then coming to visit your school, but that'd be it. But now the interest in and the effort they put in to make sure the schools are involved. And we mentioned the other week, was it, what was the school saying? Tell it, was it something like, yeah, made the, the, the national final, things like that, through through help from from us, and that's that's the way it's got to be. And if we can get get the kids involved young, get them playing at school level, get them involved in local amateur clubs, they'll they'll stay rugby league fans forever in one way or another. Or you might find the next Adrian Marley. You just don't know. Mm. Talking about Adrian Marley, he is the guest Platinum Dining Club on Sunday when we play Leeds. You can get to hear him being interviewed, have a two-course meal. All sounds very exciting, uh, Paul. Yeah, I interviewed Adrian Wally a few years ago for the Supporters Trust. I went to meet him at the Swinton Park Golf Club and he was a lovely bloke. Sat outside the sun for him for about an hour and told me about his career in Australia. He's a very, very interesting man. Really interesting mm-hmm. man. He's done so much in the sport. One of those players that is sort of loved in Australia. They laugh at us sometimes, guys. They don't they? But they don't laugh at Adrian Moore. They totally respect him, don't they? So he's a bit like that Gareth Ellis. He's the same, isn't he? He's loved over there. So, so yeah, he'll have some great stories. And he played for both clubs, didn't he, as well? He had a, a good time at Leeds at Rhinos, didn't he, before um, that was the start of his career, really, wasn't it? He started at Leeds. So, so yeah, it'd be, be good to see uh, to see Adrian back. I saw him on Sky last week, actually, at the Warrington and Leeds game doing his summer. And he's, he's still massive, isn't he? He really is a big boy. He wouldn't like a right hook off him, but um, yeah, I bet he's really good. Yeah, so if you're interested in that, £75 ahead, Parker. If you're part of the 1873 club, you can upgrade to that for 30 quid. Yeah, well, I mean, Adrian Morley, I've, I've listened to several podcasts with him on, and like Paul said there, he's one of the few players, certainly from, from over here, that's that's still adored in Australia. And and I think you'll find over here, I think, I know he had a, a, a streak in him, but if you ask a rugby league fan, of, there aren't many players that everybody from other clubs would agree with as being 
agree or whatever. I think for me, the likes of Jamie Peacock and possibly like a, a Sam Burgess and Gareth Ellis, like you say, and Adrian Morley go in that that mould where you go, yeah, you you were brilliant, but you were you played the game. You know what I mean, and you're going about him being massive. It's quite funny because he, he he helps coach. He needs his under sevens team or whatever it is, and you and you want to see the guy with the kids, and he is an absolute star with him. He's brilliant. You wouldn't think you're talking to a legend of rugby league, a man who probably couldn't walk around Sydney without getting mobbed. He can walk around Eccles and not have a problem. But you see him with the kids. He's absolutely brilliant. He puts everything into it, and he's his lad plays for him. And by the way, we want to keep an eye on his lad. He's he's got a future. That kid, him along with the two CEOs and a Lafayette. It's not a bad team that he gets to coach. Yeah. I interviewed Adrian Marley once on a building site, Paul. Just sort of wandered past and I thought, I know you. And then he recognised me and I thought, just interview you. I don't can't remember what he thought about, but it was yeah, about a good five minutes. He, he still had time for me as well, which, which was great. So, yeah, good chatter if you, if you can get involved in that. Other news, the 150-year film location has moved. It's been moved to Pendleton College. Same date, 22nd of July, Parker. It's going to be exciting, that. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I spoke to John Blackburn on Monday and we, he told me about the change of, of venue. There the, are the issues around it. But I'm really looking forward to it. I keep, I'm not, I've got to get my ticket sorted. I'll have to do it tomorrow or, or Friday. Yeah, I'm interested to see what it is. Obviously, it's going to be along the lines of the, the Willow's memories. But 150 years, so that that'll be good. We interviews with certain people and and whatever. So uh, yeah, I, I'm quite looking forward to that. It should be a good night. It's going to be a few ex players turning up, and, and hopefully maybe a few current ones. I don't know, but it could be a good night. And like I said the other week, we don't get to get together that often as fans these days in terms of non-match days or anything like that. So this is a great chance to to have a catch up with people you might not see for a while and have a chat. So yeah, it should be a good night. Yeah, very exciting. Twelve pound a ticket, Paul. I'm hoping for they'll get a big turnout. Yeah, I'm sure they will because the Willow's memories was was great. We went to Lowry to see that, and it was a terrific, terrific film. And I think my dad's got it on DVD actually as well. So it's, uh, I'm sure this one will be just as good, if not better. So uh, I think you'll get a lot. I know the venues changed, but like we were saying off air before, it's still loads a few hundred people there at the college. So uh, I reckon it'll be a belting night. That it's a Saturday as well, isn't it? The twenty second. Mm. Yeah. Going to be exciting, like you say, parky opportunity for everyone to get together and uh, watch the watch the film and, and uh, enjoy the one factor of the 150-year celebration. Final bit of news, we've got the club have announced a, a new thing that if you're a fan, you can do. You can have a tunnel experience, which means basically you can go into the players' changing room before the match, talk to the players, and, pos- and even join in the, with the winning song if we do win on that day. 1,500 quid if you want to do that. Parker, um, obviously, you spent a lot of time in the changing rooms as a youth. Uh, so, did you have any great experiences in there? It was a bit difficult at the Willows. The changing rooms were that small. Uh, mm. Once you got the team in, I was in there and you had Kevin Ashcroft and the kit man, I think, and that was about it. You couldn't move uh, and it was boiling all the time. You do, you, it's difficult. You get to know the characters and certain players before a game will we'll go into the shell and, and won't say anything or 
whereas others are full of themselves. And so it's a good experience for for, for people to meet, especially the kids, to meet the, the the heroes, if you like, see them pre-match, see what they go through. Yeah, and and then obviously, to, like you said, a tunnel experience. There, so that means you get to lead them out or something. I mean, that'd be that'd be an event in itself, I think. But yeah, we, I mean, I, I remember those, those days. And it's, it's funny when you see players pre-match and then you see them after the game and how, how they are different. I mean, one of the things that sticks out with me is certain players who, who they have rituals and what they have to go through. You watch one player put one sock on, but it has to be this sock first, then this sock, then. But he won't put his he won't put his shorts on until the rest of his kit's on or something. You're like, what what, what are you doing? And and various players who, who suffered really badly with nerves, having to go and sort of throw up. I mean, that was a that was always a bizarre one. Think if I throw up, there's no way I'm going out there for 80 minutes. Mm. But he's like that. So it's interesting to see. So hopefully you get to see that side of things and, and know what players go through pre-match. It's not just the case, turn up, have a laugh, put your boots on and go and have a game. It's there's a lot goes on there. A lot of players getting taped up, the injuries you don't see. Players obviously these days getting injections and stuff to, to get them through games. It's it's quite eye opening. So that could yeah, that could be quite good for somebody. Yeah, Paul, we spend a lot of time in the corridor near the media room, near the uh, dressing rooms. Um, so my advice, if you're going to do this, is bring a, a big coat and a windbreak because it's uh, pretty harsh if you're going to stay there for a while. Ah, it's a fair old draft out there, isn't they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. He, you get to see the players. Sometimes they come out and they look like they've been in a war, don't they? The way they're walking out there, and you do see a different side of it. And I always think they look massive as well. They don't look as big on the pitch. The other week we played Wigan, that Liam Byrne walked out, and I really realised how big he is. He's massive, absolutely huge. Or some of the lads that you see. So some people you don't think are that big, and they're, they're huge, aren't they? So so yeah, if you can if you can afford fifteen hundred quid, it's a lot of money, isn't it? Like, but but yeah, it should be good. Yeah, part of me thinks, Parky, though, the changing room is quite a sort of sacrificial place where the players sort of are together against the world. And, and I don't know how I feel about sort of dipping in and out of that, really how they feel about dipping in and out of it. But I suppose it's an opportunity in it for fans to, to get somewhere where you wouldn't normally get. Yeah, it's a tough one because, like I say, players have routines and they don't like that being upset. And if, if they say, oh, well, you've got to spend five minutes talking to this guy or do this or whatever, it's not always ideal. But, I mean, the players have obviously been told about what's happening. And you would open. Paul Rowley's giving it the all clear. Um, and again, after the game, it's all right. If we've won and they're on a song and you can, you can let somebody bang the drum for the team, it's when they've got beat and these fingers being pointed and things like that. You won't want to go in that changing room at that point. And then players won't want you there. Because they, they'll be having words for themselves or they'll be disappointed. Some players will be angry. And the last thing you want to be doing is having pleasantries for five minutes straight after the, the final hooter. So I don't know how that works, but I, I get what you're saying. But obviously, Paul Rowley's giving it the all clear. There must be a, a time thing. You can only be in there an hour before the kickoff and then you've got to clear it off and then you've got to wait half an hour after or whatever it is. But it'd be nice if we could set up a kind of I don't know if the club will take this idea but like you, you lads do your interviews after the game you could say up for, for the kid who's done it do we have a little press conference and get a couple of players in it asking questions I mean that'd be just, just something to throw in I don't know I don't know the full details of what you get for your 1500 quid but I just think <laughs> a little bit extra 
yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see what, what the club do about that. I remember, obviously, when we beat Wigan in, in the semi-final, um, we got to Old Trafford there, sort of press box backs on to solve the away changing room you could hear all the Salford players singing and and uh, when the club officials sort of f- filed into the, the press conference all in tears one by one it was like sort of really emotional I thought this was brilliant but I've been to went to the changing room at the Willows went to I've been to the changing room at the stadium on open days and it's all very like plain I, I always thought that in our changing room They'd be like maybe a bank of computers where they've got stats where Paul Rowley can like have a big screen and he can point at the video and say, this is what you're doing wrong. Maybe they do that. Maybe they have stuff like that, which you, which you don't want people to see. So it will be interesting to see if you do get the opportunity to see what it is actually like in our sort of home dressing room on a match day when it's when it's goal time, Paul. The change room will be full of sweaty shorts, socks, mm. uh... Bottles of water all over the show and that. Yeah, it's just like a change room, isn't it, basically? Mm. I don't think there'll be any technology out in there. They might get on pizza box if they've won the game and that. But, uh, but no, I th- like you said, I, I, I'm not in favour of that, really. I mean, the, the changing room is for the players, isn't it, really? So can you imagine if you won that thing or you paid 1,500 quid at Wakefield, going to change rooms after the game. We've got beat 32-6. <laughs> You'd have loved that, wouldn't you? But, uh, but no, I don't know. It's obviously an idea the club have had, but, uh, but good luck to them with it. But... Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it worked. Yeah. In my mind, Parker, you've got a table of chicken, a table of Costa coffees for rugby players to drink, Jaffa cakes, a prayer room slash quiet room, because sort of players like to do that, don't they, sometimes, and like an angry room where players can go in and smash stuff to get fired up, ready for the for, for the game. That's in my head. It's probably not like that in real life, but if in Rob's world, that's what it is. Listen, very much not like that at the Willows. Um, <laughs> it was, I mean, the changing room, like I say, wasn't big enough to swing a cat. Not that you'd ever want to swing a cat. I don't get that. Anyway, but it was obviously the sloping roof and everything. Players were too busy banging their head on girders and stuff. Mm. Um, and then you come out and after training, you'd have a tea room at the far end of the, the dressing rooms. They'd go up there, there's two trestle tables with sandwiches on it with nothing glamorous, a big canteen of tea so I, I don't know what it's particularly like on a match day at the new stadium but I, I don't imagine it's much different I think it's just a case of after the after the match the players have a debrief whatever quick shower changed and then go upstairs to the to the, the, the room upstairs and have have the have the post-match meal this this about I mean banks of computers this is sort of a belief yeah. I mean <laughs> Let's, let's not get too carried away. We'll be lucky if we've got a blackboard and some chalk. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they will have ways, they'll have laptops and things like that these days that they can go through things. But, uh, yeah, it's not definitely not going to be like a Premier League football team, is it? No, but to support my theory, the uh, when they record the victory song, it's always at the same angle. So what's behind the camera, Parker? <laughs> what's behind the camera? That's, that's the big question. That's what I want to know. Away, away dressing room, I don't. It was like painted like neon yellow, so all like the the players like get a bit of achy and a bit like sicky. Right. Cold showers, I'd like that, and maybe a high pitch wee wee noise. So everyone's mm. like, "What's that noise?" Just before kick off, so they're not. We well, got to find an edge somewhere, haven't we? Haven't we, Paul? Certainly, yeah, the way you were talking there, the old changing was a bit like Buck Rogers. If you central computers and all that and stuff beeping and going on, but yeah, you've got to find your edge, haven't you, I suppose. And uh, 
Yeah, be a good idea that one to make it as small as you can. I mean, when you see them on Sky, I mean, you don't see it as much now, but I think it's like when they have like Castleford on and it pans on the changing rooms at their mm. ground. Yeah. The, the away changing room looks like a like a box, doesn't it? I mean, the old changing room's not like the Hilton, is it? But the away changing rooms is like there. Is it's terrible. I wonder what it's like at Wakefield. I mean, they're, their grounds are a funny ground. They're just going back to. So last Friday, I mean, if you've, if you're a bit unsteady on your feet there on that terrace, you're falling yeah. all over the shoulders, like rusty scaffolding everywhere and all sorts. But you no, know, good luck to the new stands coming on a storm. Yeah. So that's all the news, and now we'll look forward to this week's games. It's time for the devil of the So we'll start with the ladies there in action on the community pitches, midday kickoff against Barrow. Like I said, after last week's defeat, hopefully we can bounce back with the win, Packer. Yeah, well, we need to, don't we, really? We need another win. We've had a couple of defeats following that. Well, we had that Bradford win away, which last gasp and all that. I think, I think the girls will target this one. I think they'll they'll see this as a chance being at home and also having having fans around to to, to watch it to make an impression. It, it's a it's a key game I think for them. Uh, and like I say, we're still we're still learning, but it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see. Felt that they were disappointed the other day when, like I say, when I spoke to them, and they'll just be looking to just just get a bit of momentum. Get if you could get a couple of wins on the trot would be would be nice. It's been like win lose win lose. So it's a good place to start. I'm not sure how Barrow are doing this year. I'm not. I'm not. I, I, to be honest, they do struggle to find the league table for for the ladies. But again, I'm not sure how how developed their team is either. But obviously, Barrow is a hotbed, so you'd expect them to have some, some decent players. Yeah, I think Barrow and Featherstone are the two favourites to to win the competition. Mm-hmm. So it is a test for our ladies to play them back to back over two weeks. Especially, like I say, with all the effort they put in to try and get back into the contest on last week on Sunday. So, hopefully, they'll get a big crowd there because it's a mental health awareness week at stadiums. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the club will be having big things planned, like the Armed Forces Day, to try and generate and bring people to the ground early. So, opportunity, if you do get down to the ground early, to watch the ladies play Barrow. The reserves... Paul, they play Leeds on the Saturday on the community pitch, 2pm kickoff. We beat Leeds last last season. I think it was away from home. Mm-hmm. And so, opportunity to uh, turn them over at home. Yeah, when's that game play, Rob? Is that a Saturday? That Saturday, 2pm. Saturday, right, right. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a, be a tough game on against Leeds. It's always a difficult game against them. They've got... Uh, that riches there, they have the embarrassment of riches that's inside that club, the massive academy and the reserve team. But our reserves have not been doing too bad, have they? The last couple of weeks, they've come closer on a number of occasions. So that should be should be one to watch out for. That yeah. So if you if you you want to get down there Saturday, support Stuart Wilkinson's boys against Leeds, two p.m. kickoff. Let's move on to Paul Rowley. Men, they are in action at home on Sunday, three p.m. kickoff. Leeds. Park here. Leeds have found some form. Um, Fortunately for us, but a positive for us is Blake Austin will miss, and he's been their farm player. 
Yeah, I've, I've been a critic of, of Blake Austin for a long time, to be honest. When I remember he was at Canberra and he looked a really, really good player. And then he arrived at Warrington and there was this big song and dance about him. And then the first time he came up against Jackson Hastings, Jackson Hastings just played him completely off the park. It was like night and day between the two of them. And I think he's, I've always found him a little bit overrated. But then the last two or three times I've watched him, I thought he looked like the player that he was at Canberra, making these strong runs, opening up gaps. He's a big lad for it for a half back as well, so it's it's great that he's he's obviously missing when he is in form. But I've also got suspicions because he is fighting for a new contract, isn't he? And and we've had that where players have played brilliant, got a new contract, and then just fell off the, the edge of the earth. So uh, I'm a little bit suspect. For me, the the thing with Leeds is Paul mentioned it earlier on. He's he, he's their pack. They've got a really good big pack, a lot of big men. And our pack has been bullied the last few weeks. And this is this is where the test is. I mean, I listed a few of their players. Uh, Hirsky, uh, Lizone, Sangare, Sam Walters, who's been absolutely wonderful for Alroyd, Gannon, Bentley, Tetavano. I mean, this names that players, some of them players won't get to play. We we could only dream of having that back then Richie's in the pack. So it's key for us to get players back. We've got to hope that we have our three main players back in there and hopefully Stone as well. That'd be nice. I'm not really sure why Dan wasn't playing last week. I've got no, I've heard nothing about that. But if we can get them back on the park, we, our attack will obviously straight away be better. Easily. I mean, for me, the one player we've missed the most is, is Andy Ackers. I think he just gives us so much from acting half. I think he's been, I think he's an absolute star and we've lacked that zip. And Guile. That he's got, he knows the game. You know, he reads it really well. He spots things, especially from acting. Out. I mean, he'll see that it's time to go himself. So we need to get him back in the game. But our forwards have got to stand up. Really got to stand up and set a platform for our backs. Because we mentioned earlier about like Budgie not looking, not his confidence is definitely low. But he's not getting chances near the opposition's line. He was too busy trying to drive it out from defence all the time. We need to. If we can get within a team's 20, 30, we look dangerous. We look like we're going to score. But we need the forwards to get us up there. And then when we are up there, if we haven't got the ball, to defend and stop the opposition getting back down our end. If we do that, we can compete with anyone, absolutely anyone in the league. There's no doubt about that. But Leeds are full of confidence. They've got Richie Myler, who, who generally scores against us. And, and one player that I think has probably scored on every time he's ever played against us is Ash Hanley. Who's a winger? I I think he's an absolute phenomenon. I think he's brilliant. He's probably the best player Leeds have got by by a long way. And he's kind of stifled a little bit with the England opportunities because we've got Mapington, Johnston, Tom Davies, Ashton at Warrington. We've got a glut of wingers at the moment, but he's he's superb, a really good player, really dangerous. So they've got threats all over. But for me, if we can switch on this week and just get out of this little rut we're in. We can beat Leeds. We proved it at Headingley. We're better than them that night by fair distance in my eyes. That wasn't that long ago. So, with without them having Austin, we've got to see this as a chance to get back on it and then set up for the rest of the season now. Yeah. Paul, not vintage Leeds. They are beatable. Paul Rowley's an experienced coach. He's been in this situation before. Players will be hurting after last week's non-performance against Wakefield. Hopefully a big day planned by the club. It's going to be a good day. 
Well, it's about time we played well at home because we've been we've been so flat at home games, particularly this season. It's about time we, we put performance in, but Leeds are a bit of a check, Jekyll and Hyde side, aren't they? I mean, look at their results this season. They've lost to Castlewood twice. They got beat at Wakefield, yet they won away at St. Helens. They won away at Wigan by 40 points, and they only had 12 men. Mm-hmm. They've tonked Warrington. They've got 50 points against Huddersfield. So you never know. I mean, I watched them the last two weeks, and you look at them and you think, they, they could get to the grand final. You know, the way, the way they play the sport, they're capable of going to St. Helens and winning by 20 points. They just are. I mean, we, we've never won this eight hours ever for 43 years, but they just seem capable of pulling them sort of results off. And then yet again, they'll go and lose to someone. So, you know, like Pac said, I think they've got a big pack of forwards. I think they've got a very mobile pack of forwards as well. They've got a bit of pace in that team. And, and mm-hmm. once they get the ball moving, they can cut you to pieces, can't they? They've got Richie Myler, who's a terrific support player. He's always there backing up. So they're a dangerous side. They do seem to have a bit of a vulnerability about them, but you just can't afford to let them get a roll on and get playing. I think we need to come out early doors and, uh, and make a statement like ourselves because when we have done that and we've started on the front foot, we're a hard team to beat, but we're not a back foot team. Us. I think we, we're a team that's got to go out and, and, and take the game. We, we don't seem to be a team that can go sort of 16, 20 points down and come back. Well, no team can really, can they? But we certainly can. Yeah. Prediction time, Parky. What's your thought process? Uh, I think... I think the the players will have it in them that they they owe they owe everybody and themselves a better performance than they've, they've been putting in, and certainly from last week, they they all know that that wasn't good enough, and it wasn't it wasn't the sulphur that we've watched for the last couple of years. So the the, the effort will definitely be there. I'd like I've got to see the squad. That that's the big thing. I don't know. There's no confirmation of anybody being back. I mean, we've had mind games before where so-and-so is going to play and they're not, or vice versa. So, until I see it down on paper, I don't believe anything. But if we do have Ryan Briley back, if we do have Brody Croft back, if we do have Andy Ackers back, if we have got Sam Stone, and hopefully Alex Gerrard can back up another week coming back from that injury because he, he needs more time, but he's a very useful player. I, I think... I think we can. We can. Well, we can definitely beat Leeds. We, we've we've proved that. We've got no. Even though our record against them is absolutely dreadful, Paul Rowley doesn't read anything into any of that. He'll have us fired up. So, I'll go. I'll go with an eighteen twelve win. Eighteen twelve. Yeah. Paul Rowley. Paul said three in, three out this week. Does that make your prediction any different? Three in, three out. As in what? As in three are coming back from injury and three are injured. Oh, right. But he didn't give us any names. And the, we're recording this on Wednesday night and the, the squad is not been published yet. So we're still... The squad won't come out till Friday, will Yeah, the squad will be out Friday, won't it? So, yeah, I'm not so sure he's going to be missing. But no, I'm not going to count anything into that. I'll still make the prediction. I'll go for... Oh. Steve doesn't miss many kicks, does he? So we'll go for 26 to Salford. Four tries and a penalty goal. And 16 to Leeds. 26-16. I'll go in the middle, obvious. I'll go Salford, 20. Leeds, 14. And I'm thinking that Ken Seal will score just after half-time. Salford to win, which is which is good. So that's the end of this podcast. 
another great show, Parker, talking all yep. things Sulphur Devils. Great debate as well about the, uh, the state of general rugby league. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, really enjoyed this one. Yeah, I think we could do a, a, an old couple of hours podcast on the state of rugby league and uh, where we see it going and everything. It's, that in itself is is a massive issue. But we've had enough to talk about, even though it's a fairly quiet week, isn't it? But uh, yeah, it's always it's always good just to catch up and have a chat, especially after last week. I've got to say, I saw Paul at the end of the game uh, on Friday <laughs> night doing his post-match report, and he was crouched against the fence. And I, I actually worried that I, I was glad his family were with him because he didn't look like he was going to make it home. He looked, he, he thought he was going to carry for a minute. Um, he, yeah, he looked. I mean, he he looked how I felt the other night, and yeah, I was a bit worried. And then when you phoned when I was on the coach on the way back and said you couldn't get hold of him, I was I was really worried. Yeah, <laughs> so it's great to be here tonight and know that he's he's still with us. Yeah, and you wonder, Paul, why I was yeah. consistently ringing you after Parky said Paul didn't look a good way after the game, and I was like, why what's the matter with him? <laughs> but, well, it's funny. It's funny you should say that because no. It, it, when you're doing the videos in the crowd, you do get people looking over it. And the one or two people are looking at me on, on Fridays think, oh, what's he doing? Is he all right? And I don't know, it must have been the, the, the face I had on. But we were <laughs> driving back down the 62 with Oski, uh, James Oskison, and uh, it was absolutely teeming down one. It was pouring down. It was horrible, it was horrible. And that was that sort of American horrible. And then you phoned us up, Rob. And when we put the phone down to you, I looked at Oski and he looked at me and he went, I kind of feel better now. I said, I, I feel the same. I said, Tell you what, I said we could lose by 100 points, but Robert finds some positives in it. It's so positive <laughs> that man. It's like you just lifted us completely. We were both like down in the dumps. We spoke to you and thought, God, I feel like I've won the lottery now. The enthusiasm that you had after the defeat, I mean, that's off to you, mate. You're you're a star because you, you perked us both up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't could get my head around it really because after the game, I spoke to a couple of club officials and they were like, Oh, I can't believe we got beaten. I was like, We haven't won it since 2015. It's not like a, a, a a, a match I'll tick off as a win um, but yeah you've always there's always got to be positives aren't there but even in defeat and that's you, you grow you, you carry it to build in it after every defeat and yeah I, I was disappointed but it's as it's night follows day so for lose it wakey and that's that's the way it is Parker yeah well we have that in a lot of places don't we and that's what I mean it's it wasn't the loss that, that stunned me in any way. It, it was the performance that was the, the problem. And that's that that's kind of unforgivable at times. But then you think, is it really? And then by like you say, by tonight, I'm back in love with the matter and it's yeah. Yeah, it's all forgotten. It was just a bit of a tiff and you know, I'll take him back again. Yeah. The sport is being held on hostage by Sky, but we still love the club. That's that's all I'm at. <laughs> So I want to say big thanks for our listeners who, who support us through the Kofi, buying us the programmes and all the things that make this podcast what it is. We couldn't do it without you. If you haven't donated a coffee for me, Paul and Parky so far, you can find our link on the Facebook page and the Twitter page. Our donations are greatly received. So big thanks for joining us on this Devil in the Detail podcast. It's been a great show. Ibro Parkinson, you can you can find us on Facebook, Devil and Eater SRD, you can find us on Twitter at DITDSRD, and you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Radio Contact, Spotify, and YouTube. Good luck, Reds. We'll see you soon.
devil in the deep set. <laughs> <laughs>